0: Last night I spoke on symptoms and solutions of depression, and uh, I'm going to go now to the theology of the family, and I'm going to tie in, in my first point, some of the concluding thoughts uh, from the message last night on the worship of God, knowing God intimately. And I want to go back to what did God originally intend? Because when you see God's original intent for family, you'll see Satan, after Genesis 3.15, was told him, I will put enmity between you and the woman between your seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, you will bruise his heel. Satan knew that his doom was in place. And that was right after the fall, right after Adam and Eve had sinned and God instantly had the shedding of blood to cover the, the sin issue. But Satan knew that God had made a declaration. His head would be crushed. He knew doom was coming. From that time forward, he was going to do everything that he can to go contrary to God's original intent for the family. We see that in high gear right now. My wife and I just came from San Francisco. We had a week of meetings there in San Francisco. We stayed right downtown at a hotel and the church was right downtown. And you stop to think. A guy on the way to the morning meeting came and he stopped at a coffee shop got a cup of coffee, and the guy behind the counter asked him where he was from. And he told him, he says, uh, you know, if you live here, you have to adopt the lifestyle of San Francisco. He said, no, I don't. I, I can adopt the lifestyle. No, he said, if you're going to live here, you have to adopt... Well, what's the lifestyle of San Francisco? None of them that I, I met on the street were... We're in the Iwana Taken or or Timothy Award winners. Everything that Satan does is to go contrary to God's original intent. And so I want us to look in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 and talk about the creation of the first man, the first father, the first husband, First leader, humanly speaking. We have the days of creation given, the world was created, the bodies of water were created, the starry heavens. On day six, God said, let us, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit met. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now, what did he mean by that? Obviously, they were not going to create man physically like God because God has no body. So what did it mean? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Basically, man was created and was given a job description that has been handed to every single one of us to be reflectors of the nature and the character of God. In other words, our job description is to be a reflector of the nature and the character of God. So our role is to be reflecting the communicable attributes of God. We cannot be omnipresent, we cannot be omnipotent, we cannot be omniscient, but we can be loving. We can be holy. And when we look at the fruit of the spirit, we come to realization that that is a picture of Christ who was a exegete, it says in John 1. He was an exegete of the Father. If you wanted to know what the Father was like, look at the person of Jesus Christ. And if the world needs to know what the Father is like, they are to look at us. Because the baton was handed to us in John chapter 17, the church. And every believer, genuine believer in the church, we have the responsibility... To be a reflector of the communicable attributes of God. So it behooves us to know God. When I stopped last night, we we talked about the works of God. We talked about the wonders of God. And I was just getting into the worship of God. Because to adequately worship him, we need to know him. And the only way to know him is he is revealed in this book. There is no other... Recording. There's no other messages. There's no other words that come. They're all here. We want to know what God is like. We want to know what Christ is like. We want to know what we should be. It's all recorded there in the Word of God. That's why we need to know Him. What was Paul's goal in life? That I might know Him. Put everything else aside in order that I might know Him. And that knowledge is not just a mental ascent. But that which causes me to imitate what I know, the full knowledge of God. And, uh, if I were to ask you, what is the believer's purpose for being alive? How would we answer that? We are alive to what? Glorify God. That's, let's suppose that a reporter from the local news station met at the door, and he was interviewing people as they came through, and he stopped you, and and uh, he he said, uh, "I understand you're having a, a family camp, and you're from a church in town, yes, and I understand as you are Christians, yes, we are, and if I understand correctly, I've heard that the purpose of the Christian is to glorify God." And you would say, yes, that's, that's right, that's accurate. And then he would say, could you explain what that means? And you would say, well, make sure God's glorified. <laughs> Which means, well, make sure don't do anything that doesn't glorify him. Which means, well, you know, make sure he's glorified in everything. So he leaves Said, thank you for explaining it, because I never understood that before. He goes back scratching his head, has nothing to report. What does it mean? Old Testament glory was the heaviness, the weightiness of God's character. The pillar of fire, the cloud, the temple, the holy of holies, the ark of the covenant always representing the presence of God. There was an awe of his presence. Noah was moved with fear. That was not being afraid. He was moved to worship the God he so knew so well. Moved with fear, prepared an ark. He was not afraid. He was awed by the fact that his God spoke to him to give him those directions. Now, when we get to the New Testament, the word doxa is the word glory, orthodoxy, Paradox, we get the doxa, the root meaning. One of the root meanings of doxa is opinion. And so how do we glorify God? In the New Testament reflection, we do what Christ did. He said in John 17, Father, I have glorified you on this earth. What did he mean? Father, I have shown this world what you are like. And therefore he goes on into that. So what was he doing? He was giving a reflection, an opinion of the Father in heaven. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. What does that mean? Whatever you do in word or deed, do all to give a proper opinion of the nature and the character of your God. So when you say I'm glorifying God, I, I, I say, am I? In my thinking this and doing this, am I giving a proper opinion of what my Heavenly Father is like? Because when we stop to think of that, dads and, and, and husbands, and then wives and children, when we stop to think about how serious that is, that we are alive to make God look like He really is. And the only way we can do that is through regeneration, indwelling Holy Spirit of God to empower us to do that so that Christ, when he handed the baton to us to glorify him on the earth, we have been given that task. It started in Genesis 1.26. Now, he was, number one, man was to be a reflector of God's communicable attributes. Then he was to be a ruler over God's creation. You hunters uh, wish that you could see this in a little more action. Deer are not listening to you. And uh, then reproduce. This was the fun part of that command. Verse 28, and God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, knowing he was going to bring into the life of Adam, Eve. And they were commanded, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth. And then we go to chapter 2. And we see a rehearsing of man's creation. We see a rehearsing of the creative work of God. Now particularly, much more detailed regarding the creation of the first dad, the first husband, the first male leader in more detail. Verse 7 of chapter 2, And the Lord God, notice, it is the Lord God. It is Elohim Yahweh. Elohim is the creator, powerful God, Yahweh, is the covenant-keeping, loving God. And so you see in the creation, you'll see this over and over, the Lord God, Elohim, Yahweh. In other words, we, we were created by his power, but yet we are kept by his love because he is a covenant-keeper. And verse 8, And the Lord God planted the garden east in Eden, and there he put man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord grew every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then we see the rivers that were coming out of Eden. And then we go down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man i.e. Adam, the first man, the first husband, the first father. The Lord God took the man. Now we see not only a reflection and a ruling in a reproducing, but now we have been handed a responsibility. And the responsibility is, and the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So he had the responsibility to tend and keep. Two very aggressive Hebrew words. One meaning to expend considerable energy and the other is to cause the state in which I've handed it to you to maintain the state in which I've handed this to you. Two very aggressive words. Those of you who can't wait to get to heaven and grab Adam by the neck when your alarm goes off at five in the morning. What were you thinking, Adam? You know work was not a part of the curse? Work was the earliest form of worship that God gave Adam. Boy, if we could get a handle on that. I remember incoming freshmen, a couple of you are are former students at North. You remember me meeting with freshmen incoming to start building their biography of who God is. We'd meet in the old white chapel and we would give the, the assignment for you to start your college career first and foremost focusing on who is your God. And uh so that meant they had to get up probably at 6 to get over there by 7, and there were not a lot of good attitudes about that. But I said, that's something, if you're going to be representing God on this earth, you better get to know him. I've had people from Mother Christian colleges say, I heard that you have your students get up early and they had me I said, you, you all don't? Well, we're adults. A lot of adults take a nosedive. You know why? Because they don't know God. So they have no fear of God. I said, if you do it, you'll crawl over the wall that's built. So I said, you know, Adam was given responsibility. It's one thing you would better learn while you were in your college training. The ministry doesn't need lazy bums. I said, you talk to men in the secular world, they're up at five o'clock. Farmers don't go to work, they get up in the middle of work. What time do you go to work? I don't, I wake up in the middle of it. I look out the window and that's work. It's all, (laughs) you don't get a break. And I said, some of you didn't know the sun came up slowly. Cause when you've gotten up to this point, mommy and daddy would let you, okay honey. Oh, oh, you're, you're tired. Okay sweet pea. Mommy fix you some, you want mom to bring it up? Okay, I'll be right up there baby. When you get to school and in fact, I had to laugh, one student, alumni who was on a mission field or somewhere, wherever it was, he said, you know, Doc, you were wound up in chapel one day talking about laziness. And he said, you hollered, get out of bed! He said, I recorded that, and that was my alarm clock in the morning. And and he said, the thing would go off in the dormant. Get out of bed, Doc holler, and get out of bed. That was his alarm I said, well, I never heard that before. He said, that's what I did. I, I had that. You're going to your Devo's in the morning, see that big orange thing over there and ask your RA, what is that? That's the sun way over there. I've never seen it way over there in the morning. I said, some of you come so lazy, you think Manuel Labor is the president of Mexico. <laughs> and, and I said, you're going to, you're going to learn something different here. Because you're going to learn responsibility. And you know where that started? Right before the fall. Where God gave Adam the privilege of worshiping him by hard work. When you go to work, be a testimony and be a reflection of the nature and the character of your God who gave you the responsibility to work. Tend and keep and then we see. Restriction imposed. Verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, Of every tree thou mayest eat freely. In other words, there was a super abundant yes. Of every tree you may eat freely. But there was a but. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. So there was a restriction that was given. But first of all, there was divine permission of all the trees you may eat freely. Divine permission. Then there was divine prohibition. But of the one tree you shall not eat. Why? Because there was divine penalty imposed if man chose to disobey. Because the permission was broad. The prohibition was very, very tiny. But the penalty for violating that prohibition was deadly. He said, For in the day thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Now, death is never cessation of being. When Adam and Eve partook in disobedience, they did not drop over dead. But they died. How? Spiritually. Death is separation. Death is not cessation. Death is separation. Because once you were born, you were eternal. You will never cease to be. And so Adam and Eve were separated from God. That was spiritual death. The second death is physical death. Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So there's physical death. We see a funeral procession. We are reminded of sin. I was witnessing to a guy. I was a foreman on a construction crew and some of the guys came and said, uh, Les, I don't know if you know, but lucky, the guy I just hired, uh, big, huge, I mean, he was a muscular, muscular guy and name was lucky and said, he's an atheist. I said, oh, I'm, uh, I put in the work on the back part of the job. So I thought I'm going to go back there and just engage him in conversations for a while while he's working. And, and I walked up to him. He said, I heard you're going to be a preacher. I said, well, if that's what God's will is, I said, I, I didn't come to preach. I came to learn the Bible. And he said, I can't believe that. He said, you looked like you worked hard. In other words, preachers they don 't know as they think all they do is wash dishes, and then uh their wife gets them dressed, and then they go and share a little thought. and I remember some guys in our church would say, "What do you do all week?" That was not a question that was an accusation You know what i 'm saying and i 'd say, "Well, Monday, I take off Tuesday, I fiddle around uh." just dinking around here and there. And then Wednesday, I try to slap a thought together for midweek service, and I said, why do you ask? I knew why he asked, because he was thinking we never did anything. I'll tell you, I would have traded hours for him any day. Any day of the night or any week, I would trade hours. But they don't comprehend that. So they make the accusation. What do you do all week? I should have said, come with me. And then, well, we'll see. But anyway, I'm not going to get sidetracked with that. Those bitterness things just kind of seep every (laughs) once in a while. (laughs) I'm not going. I'm not going to hassle over that right now. Those kind of things you kind of get. You just kind of get used to. I didn't ask him what he does all week, you know, because they have to get up and go to work, and work for an hour before they can get coffee break and. Thirty minutes are on the coffee and okay, let's get back to it. Up till ten o'clock in another break and so I, I didn't ask how hard all of that was because I've been in that world too. But death physical death. And Lucky said, I can't believe you looked like you worked hard. At That time a funeral procession was going by the hearse in a long string of cars. I said, Lucky, see that hearse? There's a dead body in there. You know what? That proves God's word is true. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. I said, sin causes death. The first Adam crashed the human race in the sin. The second Adam came and redeemed the human race. Made the plan of redemption. The third death is spiritual in eternal death. And where that is described in Revelation chapter 20. Where John writes that I saw the dead small and great stand before God. The books were opened and another book was opened. The book of life. Many will say according to Matthew 7, Lord, Lord, we've done works in your name. We have done many wonderful works in your name. The book is open. Your name's not here. You may have done a lot of wonder your name is not here. And then the books are open, the books of works. Because I do believe there are going to be degrees of punishment in hell as there will be degrees of reward in heaven. And so the books were opened and then and that said, "Whosoever was not from written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. That's eternal death. final separation from God for eternity, but never cessation of being, only separation. And so those of you who have accepted Christ as Savior, you will never know. That separation from God because you have been restored back into the relationship with Him. And boy, what, that'd make a Presbyterian take a running fit when you stop to think about it. And, uh, and so you shall surely die. In other words, physically, they didn't drop dead, but spiritually, they instantly were separated. God made the plan of restoration as they went into the, uh, Next phase of their life after man had sinned, thou shalt surely die. And so we see the consequence. God had a perfect plan. And in my next session, I'm going to deal with tools that build our relationships because of our redemption and how, what a f- blessing it is to be able to be in relationship with believers. Within our family, the dads and the moms, husband, wives, the children, grandchildren, great grandchildren, and you begin to see the huge blessing that God has provided in the relationships that we have and the fellowship that we have. It is just a tremendous thing. Now look in verse 18, and we'll be getting into this. Not only was there a reflection responsibility, a ruling task to reproduce to be responsible and accept God given restriction. Why? What was God preparing Adam for? He was preparing the first husband for his responsibility to be relational. Verse 18, And the Lord God said, it is not good. Now first time not good is recorded. Up until now it was good, it was good, it was very good. This is the first time something not good was recorded. And what was not good? That man should be Alone. And all the men said. Boy that was weak. (laughs) (laughs) It is not good. That man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. Now we see a relationship coming. God's original intent. Because in Genesis chapter 1. We see male and female created he them. God's original intent, he created male and he created female. Original intent. Do we see that being pushed today? No. Why? Because the enemy is wanting to confuse that. You don't know what is going on in the minds of people. I told Charlene, I said, thinking people. I mean, some of these people get up, they go to grade school, kindergarten, grade school, high school, graduate, go to college, many get responsible jobs. Then all of a sudden, they turn stupid. I said, how? Satanic blinding. Second Corinthians 4, satanic blinding. The God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. How in the world can a thinking person accept some of the thoughts that are being pushed today? And I told Charlene a few years back, I said, honey, it all goes back to Genesis 3.15 when Satan knew his doom was sealed and he was going to start on an attack and that attack was going to go until finally he gathers his last army from those born and not reborn during the millennial reign and they attack one more time to dethrone God and then finally his final doom is cast and finally the head is crushed. But he knows that's coming and we as believers have a lot to rejoice in today. I mean, when you stop to think the condition of this world and here we are at a family camp Meditating in God's absolute truth. Meditating in the fact that God is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Nothing gets out of his control. God is not pacing over anything right now. Cause you know why? He he has it all under control. Now I think as an American citizen, I can get disturbed. But as a Christian, I get excited. You know why? Because everything is shaping. God's plan is coming to fruition. And guess what? We get to be a part of it. I mean, I mean, honest, isn't that exciting? But if that doesn't jack you out of depression, it's exciting to know what we have to look forward to as believers. Well, we have to keep that in mind or, or we can get very, very negative. And, uh, so he said it is not good man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. And so Adam names all the animals. The animals are coming through and he gives them all names. Verse 19, And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every fowl of the air, brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle, to the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam they were not found and help meet for him. So Adam gets to name all these animals. They're coming through. They're coming through. You're a hippo. You're a rhino. You're whatever and then at the end Adam's saying where's mine (laughs) there was nothing at the end of the line for me so what happened and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he woman and brought her unto the man I like what Matthew Henry said on this that woman was not created from a bone in Adam's head so she could be ruled over, or a, the foot so that she could be stepped on, but a bone right next to his heart so she could be loved by her husband. And I thought, what a wonderful thought that is. Took the rib and closed up the flesh. And the rib which the Lord God took from man made a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said... This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And those of you who have known Hebrew and studied some Hebrew on this, know that this was not just Adam woke up and, and saw Eve and said, okay, woman, well, get in the kitchen and make me breakfast. When he woke up and saw her, the implication here was there was tremendous excitement. I mean, what would you men think? All you had seen up to this point Hippos and rhiners, ant eaters. Holy moly. Then he go to the ocean, there's some ugly things there. And he saw Eve. And you know what the Hebrew implies in this excitement. And I think the Hebrew word here is whoopee. (laughs) I think that's the Hebrew word whoopee. That's it wasn't quite that. Well, I probably was louder than that, actually. But what would you do as a man? What would you say? I know what you would say. Whoopee! That's what you would say. That's what it is. This is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woman. And four principles come in. Number one, principle of severance. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother. Do not bring up your mother's cooking to your new mate. How many have been married a year or less? Five years or less? Okay. How many have been married 25 years? Uh, 30 years? How many have been married 40 years? 35 years? 40 years? 50 years? Fifty five years. Sixty years. Good for you. So we have the newlyweds and the nearly dead. Uh, <laughs> and that said here we here we go. And so my wife and I, unfortunately, it's fifty seven years when you go to most conferences, we are the ones who've been married the longest. And I told Charlene, did you ever think we would go home with the coffee cup? <laughs> I, thought, I thought that day would never come. We went home with the cup. They always give you a coffee cup. And uh, of course, we know why we, we love we'll to meditate uh, in the mornings. And Charlene and I do our stair cup. We were staying with a family in Pennsylvania. And, and they said, what do you normally do for breakfast? And I said, well, nothing really. We do a stair cup of coffee. And so we were in their basement with stairs and they thought we meant that you, you sit on the stairs and, uh, I said, no, not S-T-A-I-R. It's S-T-A-R-E. I said, we get up and after I do my, my things and I make a coffee and then my wife gets up, I make her a coffee and we sit and stare. Fifteen minutes, no talk, no pray, no communication, nothing. You sip and stare for 15 minutes. No need for talk. You don't pray. You don't think. You stare. You know what I'm saying? You sip and stare. And so then we say, okay, we, should we go into the day or not? No, we make a decision, okay, let's go. Let's Let's, let's go into the day. But some of you are, some of you tea drinkers, I don't know how to help you. I really don't. I mean, when you get up in the morning and you go out, like we live way in and way in the north for years and years and we heat it, burning 20 full cords of firewood every year. I'd get up 5.30 go out and feed that monster and, and I would look up on those 20 below zero nights and stars would be, you almost look at them, and I'd throw my arms in the air and say, Hallelujah, what a God who loved me with a perfect love. But before I went out there, I'd put the pot on. I'd come in and in the darkness, I could see the light. The light was on in the pot. There's hope for the day. So, <laughs> that's why I thank you, Andrew, for being so considerate of us as, uh, as participants in the human race. Therefore, shall a man leave? And you don't bring up your mother's cooking to your new mate. One guy told us, he said, my wife's not a cook, she's an arsonist. He said, we don't brush our teeth, we count them after we eat. (laughs) That's not gonna help a new marriage. That's not gonna help a new marriage. So hold your thoughts. You know, if it's, if it's there, hold your thoughts. (laughs) If you want a joyful day, and shall cleave, permanence, principle of permanence, built right in, they shall be one flesh, and that one flesh, it's a holy relationship. That's one in spirit. It's a happy relationship. That's one in soul. It's a healthy relationship. That's one in body. That's the unity that is involved in that marriage, a complete marriage. That's why an unregenerate cannot marry a regenerate. Because you don't have the holy relationship. Then you try to make a happy relationship. And then try to, then the healthy relationship stops. The world reverses that. Do the healthy thing first, then try to get happy, and then just before you die, work the holy uh, holy thing, and they shall be one flesh. They are both naked, the man and his wife, and not ashamed. And so we see that there was a principle of intimacy that comes, and we'll stop right there for now, and then we will get into uh, the next phase.